Amen. 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 Oh, that's good stuff right there. Man. Man. Uh, I'm so thankful uh, for, for Jacob and his leadership and, and for the flexibility of our, our worship team. Uh, bonus points. Does anybody know what Josh was playing here? Anybody know what that's called? It's not a box. You know because you know you're dating him. That doesn't count. Anybody know? I got a prize. A cajon. Who said cajon? Okay. Well, by the way, your prize, your prize is, your prize is you, you get to have some candy uh, at the end of the service. Come down. Catherine will hook you up. It'll be good. Uh, man, 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 man. Good stuff. Guys, we, we've got a lot to get to um, this morning, including uh, hearing from Franklin Carr, uh, which we'll do kind of as I'm done. And so we're going to try to fit all that in, cram that all uh, in this morning. Uh, but before we, we get there, I, I want to tell you kind of why it's important to us to do things like this. What, why, why do we care so much about bringing on um, a full-time youth minister? Why do we care so much about having a full-time children's director? Why does that matter? And, uh, and so this morning, the message we continue our series on the kingdom of God, we're going to talk about children of the kingdom. And so before we, we dive into scripture, guys, I'm going to be in Matthew 18, by the way, if you want to turn to Matthew 18. Uh, that'll be our primary text. We'll be in Luke a little bit as well, but Matthew 18. And uh, join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts uh, to receive God's word. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness. Um, and, and Lord, right now we thank you for your word. God, we know that your word is alive and active. We know that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. We know that it's got the ability to penetrate to the deepest, darkest, hardest um, parts of our heart. We ask by the power of your spirit that it would do that this morning. We also know that your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that men and women of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you have planned for them. And we know that part of saving us involves you equipping us for good works. And so we pray this morning that your word would do all those things, that it would, it would train us, that it would equip us, that it would challenge us, it would rebuke us, God, if we're in the wrong. And, uh, and so we, we pray that. And, and most of all, uh, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and, and, and meet with us a special manifestation of your Spirit when two or more are gathered. And so, Holy Spirit, we, uh, we recognize you're the teacher of this church. And, and Holy Spirit, we, we just invite you to come and take your place in our pulpit. And we pray that you would lift up Jesus Christ in our midst, that we might see him clearly, maybe for the first time, and that we would be drawn to him. And we would want him more than anything else this world has to offer. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So guys, I'm in Matthew 18. Uh, just going to read six verses with you uh, this morning. And then I only have two things to share, okay? Just two points. I, ha- I had to cut it down so we could, we could fit in Franklin, right? I, I just want you to know, I had to, had to, had to cut it. No, it was really a, a godsend this week because we had preteen camp uh, from Sunday. We left Sunday afternoon and didn't get back until Wednesday. And so my whole week was kind of like, oh. And uh, so I was like, oh, good. I don't have to write an entire message, just two-thirds of one in a day. It's fine. So uh, here we are. So Matthew 18, starting verse 1, it says this. Uh, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? See, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven, talking about the kingdom of God. So they're like, who's the greatest? And uh, he called to them, uh, he called a child, and he had a child stand among them at, at this time. It says, truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, uh, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes 
One child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Ooh. All right. So two things I want to share with you this morning, okay? And here's the first. And, and really, it's two sides of the same coin. The first thing uh, this text teaches us, guys, is that the kingdom demands that we be like children in relation to God, okay? So the kingdom demands that we be like or, or become, the text says, we have to become like children in relation to God. And so last week, we, we kind of talked about the criteria for enter the kingdom of God. So how, what's the criteria to get in? And, and you remember the parable of the net and, and the fish were separated and they were separated. It was the good from the bad. The criteria to get into heaven is righteousness, right? And so then we talked about that's a problem for us because when we study the Bible, we find very quickly that none of us are righteous. And, and then we find out that all of our best works, the best things that we do still don't make us righteous. And we're like, well, great. So, so to get into heaven, I've got to be righteous. I am not righteous and I cannot be righteous. This is a bit of a problem for me. And, and we kind of realize that. And so that's why we say, but, but God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And so Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't. He died the death that we deserve. And what happens when, when by the grace of God, we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that, that God actually imputes the righteousness of Jesus to us. Now, I cannot re-preach that whole message this morning. I don't have time. So if you weren't here, you need to go online and listen to it, um, which it may not even be up yet because uh, Michael's on vacation. So um, he does all that for me. I don't even remember how to do that stuff. I used to do that stuff. I do not even, I'm going to just confess, I don't, even, I don't even know how to do it anymore. Um, so it'll be up soon uh, if you didn't hear it. But, but guys, it, this is an external legal matter in God's heavenly record keeping that, that he literally takes our debits and he puts them under the account of Jesus and he takes Jesus' credits and he puts them under our account. It's a legal declaration of what God does and it is good. So then the question is, how, how does that happen? Not, not, not how does God impute the righteousness of Jesus, but, but he does that for those that come to faith in him. So then the next question is, then how does somebody come to faith in him? Right? But it's all an act of God's grace. But how, how, do, I, how do I believe in Jesus? What do I have to do to, 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 to get that? And, and the answer, according to our text, is, well, I have to become like a child. And, and so, so the gospel is this, guys. God uh, is, and we're saying God, God is searching. God is chasing after us, right? And, and God chases after us because he wants us to be his children. But here's, here's the other side of that. To be his children, we actually have to become like children. And, and, and so here in, in our text, um, that, that declaration is, is Jesus truly, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, um, this one is the greatest in, in the kingdom. And what I, I want to say to you this morning is, this isn't some, um, like you may read that and go, well, I, I haven't heard that anywhere else. That's just a blip on. Like this isn't a proof text. It, it doesn't just show up in one place. This is actually the theme of scripture. You may remember when, when Jesus ran across Nicodemus in John chapter three, he says to Nicodemus, uh, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So there's this born again, child, uh, infancy kind of thing. Uh, uh, in the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter one, uh, verse 12, he he writes, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be what? Children of, of God. And so this concept of, of being a, a child kind of wrapped all throughout the New Testament. Paul would say it this way in Galatians chapter 3. Um, he says, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And that word again, it's talking about children 
of God. And so this thought of, of God wants us to be his child and we only become his child by becoming like a child is actually all throughout the New Testament. And so I want to throw this verse again, Matthew 18, 3 up on the screen. And, and uh, Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, Luke records it this way in eighteen seventeen. He says, truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God uh, like a little child will never enter it. And so the question is, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to become like a, a little child is, is one, how, how one I'm afraid the other says receive the kingdom like a child. What, what does that mean? See, that's a question that uh, Zacchaeus uh, had to deal with, right? Not Zacchaeus, that's a question that uh, Nicodemus had to deal with. So Nicodemus in, 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 uh, in John chapter 3, did I say Zacchaeus the first time? Did I say Zacchaeus the first time? See, I, 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 I'm still lacking sleep from preteen camp, okay? John chapter 3 is Nicodemus. I think I said Nicodemus, now I can't remember. So Nicodemus is one that comes to him under the cover of night, John chapter 3. Right? Did we sleep at all last week? I don't, I, I don't feel like I did. And um, the mattresses were awesome, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I wasn't sleeping on wood, but it was close. Uh, and, and so... But here, here's the deal, right? So Nicodemus comes to him under the cover of night and says, hey, what do I have to do to be born again? Or what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus is like, you have to be born again. That's what, that's what you have to do, Nick. And, and, and so we kind of we go from there. And so then the question is, well, well, how does that happen? And that's the question that Nicodemus said. Well, how, how does that happen? Do I, do I have to shrink, right? Do I have to go back in time? Nicodemus is actually trying to, he's like, dude, wait, 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 I have to, like, I have to somehow enter my mother's womb again because that's awkward and weird and strange. I don't want to think about that. I'm a visual person. And he's saying to Jesus, like, please don't make me go there. And, and, and Jesus is like, no, listen, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You've got to be born of the spirit of God. And so, um, of course, when, when, when Jesus says we have to become like children, he can't mean in a physical sense. So the question is, what sense is he talking about? To enter the kingdom of, of heaven, you have to be like a child. What does that mean? What sense does Jesus mean that in? And, and, and to understand that, guys, this is why context is so key. And so if you look back at the text, when look at verse 1. I want you to see what is going on. And so uh, verse 1, again, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, So who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That is the reason Jesus has this discussion. So, so, so the argument amongst the men of God is, is literally, hey, hey, I'm better than you are, right? Like, when he, I'm going to be in charge. So Pete, you can see Peter. Peter's like, dude, you know I'm going to be in charge. I'm the only one that got out of the boat, man. Hey, have any of you walked on water? Ha, didn't think so, right? And then, and then you've, you know, you've got John going, well, yeah, Peter, but he loves me more. Right? I mean, in fact, in fact, you could see him kind of arguing, John, you know, kind of pulling out his iPhone and be like, hey, Siri, write that down. I'm the beloved disciple. I'm going to write that down somewhere, right? Later, he, he takes this little note on papyrus or whatever, and he's like, I, I'm going to put that in a book somewhere. Um, and so that's why we have when John writes, he goes, the one who Jesus loved, right? And so you could see those kind of arguments of this, these, these men that are, I mean, they're just like us. They're just people. And they're arguing like, who is going to be the greatest in this kingdom of God? They're excited about the kingdom of God. And they're like, man, this kingdom is awesome. I wonder who is going to be in charge of it, right? I mean, who's, who's like second in command? So we've got Jesus, who's next? Who's, who's the greatest amongst us? And they're fighting. And so Jesus, to kind of squash the argument, says, hey, hey, come here, little one. And he has a child walk in front of them. And he goes, you want to know who's the greatest? Whoever becomes like this, and they are floored. What do you, what do you mean? Whoever, he's, a, he's nothing. 
He doesn't know anything. Like, like he's nothing, right? And, and they're, they're, they're kind of struggling to, to figure that, that out. And, and in fact, he doesn't just bring the child. It says in verse uh, 3 and 4, Truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest of the kingdom. And so that's the key to our verse. What does Jesus mean that we have to become like children? He says we have to become humble like children. Now, I don't know about you. I have a little problem with that. Okay? I have four children, and I just want to tell you that in a general sense, children are not humble, okay? Um, In a general sense, I don't know about your little creatures, but my little creatures have a tendency to think that the entire universe revolves around their needs, okay? That's what the creatures in my house act like at times. But I didn't want to eat this. It's food. It's food, right? It's food. Put it in your mouth. Chew it. It's more than 99% of the world has, okay? Stop complaining. I don't like this shirt. You're not naked, okay? Be happy. Rejoice that you're not naked. I don't like these shoes. They were 50 bucks. I'm not buying you a $150 pair of shoes because you blow them out every three months. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, um, and so I don't know about your children. Your children are pro- but my children, whom I love with all my heart, okay? My children act like I acted when I was a kid. Anybody else have that problem? Children, in a general sense, are not humble in, in that way that we think about. So then the question is like, Jesus, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean bringing this little kid up and going, hey, to enter the kingdom, you've got to be like this kid. And oh, by the way, this is about your pride and who's the greatest. You've got to be like a kid because this child is humble. What, what on earth does that mean? I, I'll tell you um, what I believe it means. Okay, so this is one of those things. I, I, I believe, um, see, where children are really good is when it comes to this thing called trust, right? So I got three boys, um, and then when we adopted Faith, I had no idea that I would have all the princess and unicorns, and I would still have the wild spirit of my, my, my men. I mean, she, like, she's every bit, of, she's a bruiser, man. She's walking around the house beating up the 15-year-old. Like, he's got a bum knee, and she's like, ha-ha! I can beat you. I mean, she's, she, you watch out. And, and here's what I learned early on with my kids. It started with Cole, is when you're a dad, there is just, if you're a present dad and you're in the home, there is just a sense of belief and trust in you that is unfailing. And that dude would, off of a bunk bed, off of a dresser, off of something he built, off of a countertop, off of a tree, would just dive anytime I was in the vicinity. And he would not yell first. He would yell midair, catch me, daddy! Like, whoa! Oh my gosh! Just this utter belief. And I thought he was just messed up until the next one did it. And then the next one did it. And then the princess does it. They just have this utter belief and trust that dad's going to be there. And dad's going to catch him. And they just believe it. They go to bed at night believing that when they wake up the next day, that everything's going to be okay, just naturally, that all of their needs are going to be met. They, they dance and they laugh when we are stressed out by all the worries of the world. They're like, <laughs> I mean, they just have no clue what's going, they, they just don't worry because they understand, ready? They understand that there is someone bigger than them that is going to take care of them. And Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you got to be like that. 
You want to enter, enter the kingdom of God, you have to stop believing that you're the big man. You have to stop believing that you're the provider. You have to stop believing that you're the protector. You have to stop believing that you're the one that has to save yourself by your acts of goodness and righteousness and hard work. Because all that stuff falls miserably short of God's standard of perfection, right? That's what righteousness in it, it's perfection. And so Jesus says, man, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to trust that God is bigger, that he is in control, and that he will save you. Basically what Jesus says is if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to jump and say, daddy, catch me, right? So that's where we start. We're going to talk about children in the kingdom of God. When it comes to the kingdom of God, the kingdom demands that we, right, be like children in relation to God. That's the first thing. But the second thing, there's another side of this coin in this little passage. The the, the kingdom also demands, uh, and I'm going to write this up so we've got at least 10 minutes to hear from Franklin. The, The kingdom demands that we be like God in relation to children. So first of all was the kingdom demands that we be like children in relation to God. The second point is that the kingdom demands that we be like God in relation to children. And so I'm going to throw up a couple verses on the screen. I'll talk very briefly and then I'm going to hand it over. So um, starting with uh, verse 5 here of of, uh, chapter 18. And and Jesus says this, whoever welcomes one child like this in my name, what? They welcomes me. So so he's literally saying, "Here's, here's part of the kingdom You've got to be like a child, but get this, you also have to welcome children in my name. That's going to be, that's going to be part of, of the whole deal. And then uh, in, in Luke 18, 16, he says it this way, uh, let the little children come to me and, and don't stop them. Uh, other translations says, don't be a hindrance to them, okay? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as, as these. And another way to say both of those is to say this, guys, it is our job to help children see Jesus, Okay? It's our job to help children see Jesus. And I want you to know at our church that we are extremely committed to that, to helping children see Jesus. And so about a year ago, um, we, we, we sat down with deacons and wives, myself, and, and we kind of walked through a study called Transformational Church. And one of the things that we talked about was we wanted to be a church that sees entire families transformed by the power of the gospel. And, and when we talk about transformation, that means seeing first and foremost that your purpose in life is, is to, to, to see God as primary. He's why you live. He's why you breathe. He's why you exist. And so we learn to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That's why we're here. So that's got to be what we focus on. Next to that um, is, is we, we, we have to learn how to love people well. And guys, this is a struggle. Dude, we live in a country that is divided. They want you divided on everything you could imagine. And I'll just be honest, if you watch the news on a regular basis or you, uh, you read the news, if you're on Fox News, if you're on CNN, um, you're, you're struggling right now in the real world loving people well. You just are. Because you, 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 you can't not be if you're taking all that junk in. Garbage in, garbage out. That was our lesson at preteen camp when I sat with a kid. Like, hey, you, you got to guard what you put in. And so the gospel actually says, hey, listen, God's more important than all that. And guess what? So are people. So are people. People are important. You have to love them well. And, uh, and so then next to that, we, we believe we need to be doers of the word. That when God says something in his word, it's not just a, hey, there's a little piece of advice. Take it if you want it. No, it's like, hey, I have to do this. I have to apply this. And so um, kind of our vision is to see families transform. And that, of course, that starts with adults, right? And, uh, and Deuteronomy 6 kind of lays out the guideline for children's ministry and youth ministry that actually starts in the homes. 
That's where it starts. And so our goal is, is to, to raise up parents that understand that God is first, that people uh, you know, are, are, are important, that they're next, and that we have to be doers of the word. But, but then the church has a responsibility still. And that responsibility is to make sure that we help you help your kids see Jesus. That's our goal. We, 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 we've got to help you, help your kids see Jesus, that, that we're not a hindrance to them. And I just want to be honest, like sometimes church doesn't do that well, right? Sometimes church tells kids that they need to slow down, they need to be quiet, and they need to sit still. I don't know, that sounds a whole lot like what they get at home and at school. Um, and, and, and yet, so you've got a God that's going, run to me, come to me. And all the adults are like, no, slow down, slow down, stop, stop. Don't, don't be so excited, just calm down, just be quiet, right? And you've got kids who are like, ah, I'm so excited about Jesus. And all us grudgy old adults going, oh, shh, just shh. Right? So, like, like we have to embrace that, man. We have to embrace kids. We have to embrace youth. We have to say, listen, man, there is nothing that, that we're going to care about uh, more than loving God with everything that we are and teaching our children to do the same. And so that means, like, on our part, I'll give this an application, which we'll do after we hear from Franklin, by the way. I didn't tell you that in advance, but, but just hold off on that. We'll get there. Um, but, but, man, that is such a huge part of what we have to do. So, guys, in regards to that, you know, I started the whole sermon, like, man, I want you to understand why we're investing and you know, why we have a full-time children's church. Why are we calling um, Franklin to come be a full-time um, youth minister? Why, why do we do that? And the reason why we do that is because Jesus says we need to be like God to children. So we, we need to have his heart when it comes to kids. And, and we need to do everything we can to help them see Jesus, not to hinder them, okay? And so uh, with that in mind, brother, I, I'm just going to have you come on up. Um, I, hey, I actually landed where I thought I was going to land, so um, it's good. Uh, where did our, where did it go? Where did it go? Wait, what? I'm so confused. Um, so guys, this is Franklin Carr. And uh, Franklin is going to share with us just for a few minutes, uh, just a little bit of, of his background, of um, who he is, and, and kind of his story, and, uh, and kind of why he's, he's kind of feeling the, the call to come and, and join us here and, and be here. for. We, we've answered lots of questions. We're going to answer more uh, back there um, when, we, when we have breakfast in a little bit, but why, why he wants to be a part of what the Lord is doing here at First Baptist. So. Awesome. So... I'm Franklin Carr. I'm that guy on, in the flattering picture on the screen. Uh, <laughs> dude, those are my, yeah, those are my casual shorts, man. Uh, but that's just the style these days of college students. But uh, anyway, uh, I am from Waco, Texas. Uh, I just graduated from Baylor University. Um, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of background just about where I came from, how I grew up, and stuff like that. Um, so I'm from Waco, Texas, born and raised uh, but I didn't exactly have like a normal uh, beginning because this is this is a little bit more part of my parents' testimony than it is mine. But it's a powerful part of mine that I often forget. That in itself is very convicting. Um, I, I was actually born three months premature, uh, and the doctors said there was a very low chance of me actually making it. And, I, I, and if I did make it, uh, I would most likely be uh, in a wheelchair for my life and just just wouldn't be able to do things that that I can do. Uh, and so I'm very, very blessed, very fortunate uh, to be to be where I am now, um, just to even be alive. Um, and so, and, and if you have questions about that, um, I'm here. And then also, my parents will be here at the eleven o'clock. Um, but and that was that was a huge part of their their story. But uh, very fortunate to be raised in a Christian household. 
Um, I accepted Jesus as my personal savior when I was six years old, prayed the prayer during Sunday nap time and all that stuff, told my parents. I uh, got baptized when I was seven. Uh, so, so I, I, you know, I grew, growing up in a Christian home and accepting Christ really early is fantastic. Um, but, but as I got older, you start to really realize what that actually means for your life, the trajectory that your life is on and what that decision means. And so a lot of that looked like, um, me having late night conversations with friends. And it, it was funny because, um, I think it started in junior high when this really happened was I had a lot of friends who, who had home lives. I went to a small Christian private school in Waco. Uh, I had a lot of friends who had home lives that were not not as blessed as my own. Um, and with that came certain problems, certain temptations, certain addictions, whatever was going on, certain uh, parent situations even. And so I, I found myself counseling my friends as a seventh grade, you know, a seventh grader counseling seventh graders. I'm like, why are you coming to me? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm your friend. You know, like, I, like, shouldn't you go talk to a pastor or something? Um, and, and, and since then, I just felt this calling on my life. I'm like, I love people. And I love being able to help people, point them to Jesus, point them to the scripture. And that, I mean, that's, that's the basis of what I do to help people. I'm like, you're going through a problem, boom, looking at scripture, boom, going to pray for you, point you to Jesus. And so anyway, so that was kind of a big part of my life. Um, and just, just the only thing that ever made sense to me was ministry. Uh, it's the only thing I've ever been passionate about. Um, I'm just kind of weird like that. I'm just kind of wired like that. And, uh, and, and so even, um, even in college, um, I tried, I thought I wanted to do accounting. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and, um, and I, I was, I wasn't passionate about it. I knew I wanted to do ministry and, uh, and also just, I wasn't good at the business school, like core classes. Um, and so, uh, through, through certain circumstance, I, I was actually an RA at Baylor for a little bit and, uh, it was a job I loved because I could talk till 3 a.m., to fellow students. In fact, some of those students are still some of my good friends today. But some of my residents, since I would talk till 3 a.m., whether it was counseling or just talking to them, I didn't do well in my schoolwork. Uh, sophomore year of college. This was sophomore year of college. This wasn't recently. Um, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> there, there'd probably be a different discussion if it was recently. Um, but, uh, but because of that, um, I was asked to, hey, like, you need to take care of yourself academically. And so I lost, I lost my job and, uh, I moved back home, which was a very, very, uh, humbling experience because I'm away from campus. I'm away from my friends. I'm away from the social hub. And it was a, it was humiliating. I was like, I lost a job and like now I'm off campus. I'm away from my friends. And it was a big moment where I asked God, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, and this isn't, this is not, this is not one of the big hardships in my life. I, I would certainly, let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, I, uh, so it, I love what you talked about with trusting God uh, and, and children are so trusting, right? Um, this, this wasn't always my story. In fact, around the age when I was about eight or nine years old, I lost all four of my grandparents within the course of about a year and a half. And uh, that was probably one of the darkest times of my own life. Um, because I knew God to be good. I knew God to be loving. I knew God to be in control, right? And so my big question to him was like, God, why would you let these things happen? Uh, and that was something I kind of let simmer for a little bit. I eventually got over. Um, in fact, one of my favorite Bible verses, even today, uh, is Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And that means that even in the moments that we don't understand even in the moments that we can't see the light. We can't see the other side. We can't, we can't quite see what good can come out of that. 
God's always working and he's always moving. And, and me losing family members actually allowed me to minister to other friends. I had friends who lost parents. I had friends who lost siblings. You know, um, having gone through loss allowed me to help comfort those who had gone through loss themselves. And so, so that ended up being a blessing. But, you know, I, I struggled with trusting God. That was the reason why I pursued accounting. I'm like, God, I want to make money before I do ministry. And, uh, and then he laughed. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and uh, it's funny how he does that. And um, it, it was just, you know, I believe that God has a hand in literally everything. I mean, not really like what, you know, if I choose to have like mac and cheese with my lunch. Not, I mean, you know, I don't think he cares too much about that. But like in the big moments of life, I believe that God has a hand in literally everything, especially the moments where we are like, what in the world is happening? And so this summer has actually been one of those experiences. And um, it was the funniest thing because when Jason called me, the first time just because uh, he found my resume and like was considering me for this youth youth pastor position. Um, I, I was in a place where I'm like, nah, dude, like, you know, I'll pray about it. But no, like I, at the time I was planning on uh, attending seminary in Waco uh, through Baylor. And I had a girlfriend who I was planning on marrying, all this stuff. And, um, and so he called and he's like, Hey man, like, you know, you want to come be a youth pastor in Elgin, Texas, this town you've never heard of. And, uh, I was, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Um, not really, but I'll pray about it. And, um, it was funny because God actually allowed that relationship I was in to end just out of the blue. Like, and I, of course I was torn up. And so he calls back. He's like, Hey man, you've been praying about it. I'm like, I'm sad. Uh, no. <laughs> and, uh, it was just, but it was just the wildest thing because, because after that, um, I don't know. And, and, and I made sure it wasn't an emotional response to anything, but, but God was really impressing upon my heart and just in the people in my lives are like, Hey, like, have you thought about this elegant thing? Have you thought about, uh, th- this thing that God seems to be handing you? Uh, and I was, I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't shake it. Um, and it was the most, it was the most insane thing. And even, even my parents were like, you, you need to, you know, think and pray about this like heavily. Cause like, this is cool. Um, and I'm like, I know, I just don't know what's happening. You know, and that's funny cause that's usually how God works. Right. I mean, he usually, he doesn't ever work on our timing. Our timing is ridiculous anyway. And so, um, and so it was just funny. And then when Jason came down and, and he, he came and met me in Waco, uh, I had a good, I started to have a good feeling about it. But uh, I, th- I think it, it was after, after meeting with him in Waco and he even invited my dad to come up uh, and chat with us too. But after that, I was just like, let's do this. Like, you know, like, come on, God. Like, let's do, like I, I waited a few days after we talked, but still, I was just like, God, like, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm on board. Um, because when God, when God hands you stuff, whenever God, you know, especially if he, if something keeps coming back and God seems to be shoving it in your face, I think the best option is to obey and go after that thing, right? Usually we would hope so. And so, um, and, and so, yeah. And so, um, right now, you know, I'm, I'm a young goofball. I'm a goofball. Like the thing y'all need to know about me is I'm still a kid at heart. Um, and I, I love being goofy. I love being loud sometimes. Like if I go to sporting events, I will be, I will have no voice the next day. Um, that's just, that's just who I am. That's just how I am. But I also, I can be serious when I need to be. Um, I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about uh, students. I, I believe students, you know, I was a part of my college ministry leadership team uh, for roughly like three years, I think. And, uh, and that, that whole thing is just like, I believe students, whether you're junior high, 
elementary, high school, college, wherever you're headed, you, these are formative years that help build you into who you're going to be in the future and help build you into the leader you're going to be in the future. And so and I believe in people. Uh, God's done crazy things in my life. Uh, I haven't even told you all the full story. If I did, we'd be here forever. Um, but the thing you need to know is that I, I, I'm crazy about people. I'm crazy about God. In fact, the motto my dad has always told my family is love God, love others. And so, gosh, like even, even when I looked up like, you know, elegant and he said, you know, the motto is love God, love others, do something. I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. And so, you know, and so it's just the funniest thing. And so I'm really glad to be here. Um, I hope they all are praying about this whole thing. Um, I know I have been, um, and I'm just, I'm just honored, um, and just, just still blown away just by God and just how all this has gone uh, to even be considered for the youth pastor job. So thank you all so much for listening to me for a little bit.